Welcome to the Maritime Podcast. You are listening to Marcus Hand, editor of Sea Trade Maritime News. In this regulatory update episode, we are talking with Sea Trade Maritime News correspondent and industry consultant Paul Bartlett, and we are going to be talking about emissions trading for shipping. Paul, welcome to the Maritime Podcast. Thank you, Marcus. As I say, we're going to be talking about emissions trading. There's been a lot happening around this, particularly with the EU in uh, recent weeks. And, you know, shipping is uh, set to come under the EU's emissions trading scheme. So I'd like to ask you, Paul, what does this mean for shipping? And not only for those who trade within Europe, but also for those who trade from elsewhere in the world into the European region. Could you explain what this means to our listeners? Yeah. First, it's necessary to give a brief recap on how the scheme works in practice already. It was introduced in 2005 and sets annual limits on greenhouse gas emissions each year for entities covered by the system. The cap steadily reduces over time so that emissions continue to fall. Since it was launched, they've been reduced by about 43% over the main sectors, which include power and heat generation, energy intensive industries and aviation, but importantly, only aviation within Europe. These sectors account for just about 40% of the region's total emissions. The system works like this. Regulated entities buy or receive allowances which they can trade with one another as necessary. At the end of each year, they must surrender enough allowances to cover their emissions. If the entity cuts its emissions, it can save allowances to cover future needs or sell them to somebody else. In light of the climate emergency, the European Commission has proposed raising its emission reduction targets, partly by raising them and partly by bringing in new regulated entities such as shipping. The aim is now to achieve a 61% reduction by 2030 compared with 2005. This represents an 18% increase on the emission reductions achieved so far. For shipping, the EU proposals apply to ships of more than 5,000 gross tonnes, regardless of flag. It will apply to all emissions from ships trading within the EU and 50% of emissions from vessels arriving from or bound for ports outside the EU, as well as emissions whilst berthed at ports in the EU. This differs from the regulations that apply to aviation. As I pointed out, aviation regulations only apply to flights within the EU. The scheme is estimated to cover about two-thirds of maritime transport emissions within the EU bloc. Shipping companies will have to buy or surrender allowances for each tonne of reported carbon dioxide emissions. The process will be administered by authorities established in member states. A company's failure to comply for a period of two or more years will result in ships being denied entry into the region's ports. There will be a three-year phase-in period during which experts say the existing monitoring, reporting and verification requirements, known as MRV, and the IMO's data collection system are expected to be extended. It will mean that shipping starts trading in carbon for the first time, and depending on where you sit, This offers challenges, burdens, but also opportunities. However, it's important to note that the proposals have to be negotiated and agreed by a majority of EU countries and the European Parliament before they enter force. Experts reckon this could take up to two years. 
But in light of the International Panel on Climate Change shock warnings the other day, sentiment is certainly hardening. Quite a lot to take in there. And as you say, we've had those uh, warnings from the Climate Panel the other day. Now, obviously, in the last regulatory update, you talked something about the short-term measures on decarbonisation from 2023, and also the longer-term ambitions that they have for 2030 and 2050. Why do these fail to satisfy the likes of the EU? And why is the EU going down this emissions trading scheme angle on its own? Well, quite simply, the the politicians in Brussels don't think that the IMO's steps go far enough or fast enough. And that is mostly because of the way that the IMO, which is a United Nations agency, operates. It has 174 country members and it works on the basis of consensus. Actually, it performs a fantastic job in regulating international shipping, which is an extremely complex industry. However, with so many members with different priorities, the process of negotiating new regulations is far from straightforward. Nations have different priorities, and some poorer countries have to consider more pressing issues, such as food, water, or domestic power for their people. Then there is the matter of politics. It is only in recent months, for example, that the offshore wind sector in the United States has picked up any momentum. We saw only a few days ago from the findings of the International Panel on Climate Change that the world is already in its 11th hour, so far as the climate emergency is concerned. The IMO's consensus approach, many believe, is not the way forward in this context. Okay, so you've got a difference between the sort of speed that IMO moves at and what other countries, some more individual nations and blocks of nations would like to see, especially given the climate emergency you were talking about. Exactly. Shipping associations are strongly against unilateral or regional regulation. What is the problem with schemes such as the EU emissions trading scheme from the perspective of the shipping industry? Well, shipping accounts for more than 90% of world trade, and without it, most people in the world wouldn't be able to live the lives that they do. It's very complex with many individual sectors, thousands of companies and some of the world's largest multinational corporations as its key customers. Industry associations are concerned on many fronts, but let's look at three of them. Firstly, they are anxious about uh, new regulations from one region, which could lead to a range of retaliatory measures in other places. Ultimately, this could make the daily operation of Many ships, particularly those on tramp trades, which, uh, which move around the world all the time, an operational nightmare. Guy Platten, Secretary General of the International Chamber of Shipping, has warned that the EU's scheme will greatly upset its trading partners. He said that it's not fair for non-EU shipping companies to pay billions of euros to support the EU scheme which in any case undermines the industry's own carbon dioxide negotiations at the IMO. Instead, he said, a global carbon levy would be much fairer. Secondly, there is, as always, the issue of money. Various entities, including ship owners and the industry's major customers, have called for carbon pricing, the proceeds of which would fund the research and development necessary to develop both the zero carbon fuels of the future and the global infrastructure for their distribution. 
This whole exercise will be shipping's largest ever fuel transformation, estimated to run into trillions of dollars. Under the EU scheme, proceeds from industry would go to individual member states. Thirdly, and perhaps most importantly, many fear that the EU scheme, as well as leading to a patchwork of similar arrangements that would differ, nevertheless, around the world, will fundamentally undermine the IMO's aim to establish a global arrangement. The International Chamber of Shipping has estimated that the EU scheme will cover only about 7.5% of total global shipping emissions, and whilst at the same time putting in jeopardy plans for a universal system. So, it's obvious the objection is the lack of a universal system. You also talked earlier about the you know, the, the, the balancing act the IMO has to strike with all the different member states. Um, is it possible for the IMO to actually balance all those in, interests and different viewpoints on the environment to avoid regional regulation on emissions? Well, that's a really tricky one and it depends on where you sit. Those in favour of a global emissions framework would say that a setup designed for universal application and agreed at the IMO is definitely the fairest and most efficient way to proceed. But many outside of shipping, and even some within the industry, fear that the IMO's constraints in terms of pushing new regulations through a forum with so many members and so many different interests is a challenge too far. However, there have been various initiatives from shipping industry participants, perhaps most notably some of its biggest customers, and the largest users of sea transport on the planet, which these could generate greater momentum. This could come partly because of concerns over the EU's plans and the creation of similar schemes around the world. So you're potentially getting that momentum from some of shipping's big customers and some of the big owners, presumably, as well. So where does the industry go from here? Well, global shipping is an amazingly resourceful industry. Already there have been some astonishing developments in new digital technologies that raise ships' operating efficiency, the introduction of electricity into ships' power systems, the harnessing of wind power to increase thrust through the water, waste heat recovery and so on. And there are a range of projects on new fuels, some of which are already available as drop-ins, biofuels for example, and biogas from non-fossil sources. And there are major steps forward on the life cycle assessment of fuels. In other words, the emission profile of new fuels from start to finish. So far, though, one puzzle to me is that the N word has barely been mentioned. The world already has a number of highly efficient nuclear powered icebreakers, which have been in successful operation for some time. The technology is available today. It's tried and tested and it's carbon zero. Be that as it may, though, hence the developing regulatory backdrop, the shipping industry must not be distracted from its own endeavours on decarbonisation, which quite independently of any regulatory authority have already led to remarkable progress in greenhouse gas emission reductions. Lest we forget, carbon is not the only one of these. Yes, indeed, Paul. And thank you. I think you've made a very strong point, though, that this industry doesn't need to get distracted from its own efforts to develop these fuels and decarbonize 
and reduce greenhouse gas emissions as a whole. We'll be watching this space and I'm sure we'll come back to this in a future podcast to update our listeners more on, on the topic of emissions trading. I'd just like you to thank you so much for taking the time today, Paul. My pleasure, Marcus. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks.